And welcome back to Code with Kingy, where I am up to episode 4 of my recapping of the Super Rugby season in 2020. Now just another quick reminder that if you haven't already, please be following this podcast as well as my social media pages on both Instagram and Facebook, where again I am dropping little bits of content that are relevant to the previous week's podcast. Now, round four, I only had three games to cover, which was Friday night's clash between the Crusaders and the Highlanders, followed up by the Chiefs hosting the Brumbies, and then finally the Bulls hosting the Blues. So we'll start off with the South Island Derby, though, where in front of a full house at AMI Stadium, it was the hosts scoring four first-half tries to set themselves up for a 33-13 win and jump ahead of the Chiefs atop the New Zealand Conference. Josh Iwani scored the game's opening points after six minutes through a penalty goal, but it was the Crusaders who found the line first through Cody Taylor. Strong carries off a line-out from Jack Goodhue and Luke Romano got the home team to within five metres of the line, but it was George Bridges' run that broke the camel's back when he provided a subtle dish for his hooker to score. Tackling machine Tom Christie scored his first try at the Super Rugby level when he found himself the recipient of another Goodhue offload and showed just enough toe to dot down in the corner. The Landers, who needed to score next to keep themselves in the ball game, did so through fullback Michael Collins after a lovely weighted skip pass from Iwani hit John Anariki in stride, who committed David Havili just enough to free up some space on the outside for a try. Braden Enor crossed for his third in 2020 by virtue of some sloppy defending on the edge of a ruck, and Bridge closed out the half when he scooped up a fortuitous bounce and beat Aaron Smith on his way to the chalk. The Crusaders didn't turn in the same position on attack after the break, only managing just the one try to replacement Lucy Sioni Harbili from a line-out drive. But this didn't matter though, as it was the defence which carried them home, only allowing one second half score to the Highlanders, which was done so by Nariki. Now, having watched this game over, I still found it hard to tell whether it was the Crusaders' attack that put this game to bed or the Highlanders' shoddy tackling. The host dominated the contact area whilst also doing a good job of keeping the ball alive and managing 18 offloads. In turn, though, the Highlanders missed an eyebrow-raising 35 tackles and failed to convert a handful of scoring opportunities. As touched on in previous weeks, the Highlanders' game plan is to give the ball some air and look for space out wide. To help drive the system, they've got two first fives in their starting lineup, by way of Mitch Hunt and Josh Iwani. Now there were times in this game and in the previous weeks where they have reaped the benefits of having two distributors, a prime example being Collins' first half try. However, the, the lack of grunt in the forwards has them shoveling static ball most of the time, and for me I feel like they're better suited to having someone more direct, i.e. Tehorangi Walden, outside their 10 to at least put the defence in two minds, because... At the moment, it's almost a given Iwani's looking to dish rather than dash. Another gripe of mine from this fixture was the Highlanders kicking away position to arguably the most dangerous back three in the competition. On nearly every occasion a nudge didn't find touch, the Crusaders were inside the Landers' half in less than a handful of phases. Now I understand that you can't throw caution into the wind and try to work your way out of your own half, 
with ball in hand, but there were times when they were just inside their own territory and they decided to put boot to ball, and it almost just gifted the host the pill with only 50 metres between them and the try line. I felt like they were probably better off keeping ball in hand and trying to string phases together, but again, this is sort of something that they're going to have to learn the hard way with their new team, and hopefully they figure it out sooner rather than later. Now, fan favourites from Friday evening would have been the trio of Mitchell Dunshay, Cullen Grace, and, like the previously mentioned Christie, who combined for 46 tackles. While in the backs, Bryn Hall was outstanding in his 50 minutes, as well as the 1-2 punch at 12 and 13 of Goodhue and Enor, who worked 10 points in just under 100 running metres between them. In the blue strip, Aaron Smith had a good night despite fluffing two try-scoring opportunities. Collins had his best game for his hometown team with a meat pie and 135 running metres, and Nariki was also impressive with his own treat and try assist. Saturday night had the Chiefs play their second game at home against the Brumbies, and with three first-half dots, it was the visitors who banked the win at FMG Stadium. Now, all Toru of those scores came from set-piece, with the first-seeing fullback Tom Banks collect a juggle off prop James Slipper, on his way to the whitewash after a midfield crash from a line-out drive in the ninth minute. They would score five minutes later as well after a well-worked strike move from which you guessed it, a line-out. Ended with winger and former warrior Solimoni Kata delivering his trademark eye-pointing celebration at the move's conclusion. Now ex-Crusader and now Canberra number 8 Peter Samu literally ran over the top of Te Toiro to Huiorangi and dove underneath the sticks after a solid 5-metre scrum giving his side a 19-point buffer at the Oranges. Samu collected his brace two minutes into the restart of the game, leaving three defenders in his dust and all but locking up a Brumbies dub. The mana would strike back with near-identical tries to Aaron Cruden and Anton Leonard Brown before the three-quarter time mark, giving locals a glimmer of hope at a fight back, but the visitors held on and left the Tron with five competition points. Now, after losing on the Hooter last round and having their squad struck by illness midweek, the Brumbies gathered themselves and played to their strengths to topple the previously undefeated Chiefs. Besides their work done from set-piece, the visitors did an excellent job with the kick chase, giving the home team little time to launch anything on the counter. And as you'd assume with anyone, their tackling for the most part was spot on, as well as their security of their own ball at the breakdown. Now it was always going to be a big ask for the red, black and yellow to claw their way back into the game after going down three tries, but even after Anton Leonard Brown's score, they never really looked like a threat. Unlike their first three outings, the spark and aggression produced in crucial stages never came and their lethargic start did in the end cost them their unbeaten run. The 11th minute departure of Luke Jacobson in his first game back threw a spanner into the works for Warren Gatland where he had to dip into his impact players early. And if you also throw in the 18 turnovers conceded, you can only imagine how sombre the Monday review will be. Only Cruden and Leonard Brown tallied a line break for the hosts, which was baffling considering how confident they had looked in previous weeks. The omission of Brad Webber, who was left out for rest purposes, was costly, if you could call it that, as I think he would have been a real impact um, after Anton Leonard Brown's try and would have helped swing things in his side's way. Take nothing away from the Brumbies though, who obviously did their homework, but yeah, I still can't quite wrap my head around this result, seeing as they still had a number of key figures take the field. And yeah, they just, I don't know whether they took this one easy, or yeah, they just didn't turn up on the day, but yeah, a really weird fixture. Anyway, Aidan Ross and Michael Allardyce should be proud of their own shifts by managing 12 plus tackles, and Mr. Consistent Anton Leonard Brown 
played his part by doing a bit of everything. Wrapping up my recap for week far was the Bulls against the Blues, where the visitors notched their second win, second away win as well, by virtue of a last-minute penalty goal. Now, miserable weather left us without any meaningful action until the half-hour mark, when 23-year-old going-on-35-looking Mark Talia capped off some great back play with a clean finish inside the left flag. Hall of Famer and first five Mornay Stains scored all of the Bulls' first half points, the last five of them coming on the stroke of the 40-minute mark after a solid scrum five metres out. Ginger Ninja, Tom Robinson scored his side second from a pick-and-go and only minutes later Stephen Petalfetta slid over after some great aerial skills from Matt Duffy who collected a kick from stand-in 10 or Teddy Black. Now this would put the visitors up by six points and with just over 10 minutes to go, Hoskins Satutu earned his second yellow of the season by being penalised for a dangerous tackle. It was a rather soft call as he sort of made the hit at the shoulder line and then moved up. But nonetheless, it would cost his team as the host went on to score from the ensuing scrum and added the extras for a one-point lead. Thankfully though, for the number eight, his opponents would give the Blues one last shot at victory after creeping past the offside line with no time left on the clock. Skipper Patrick Tuipulotu pointed at the post, leaving the game in Altidi Black's hands. He would then make no mistake from the shot from right out in front, uh, just outside the 22, and with that, the visitors claimed a 23-21 win. Now, they did miss 15 tackles in this game and only mustered five clean breaks. And again, they struggled with their goal kicking. But for the first time this season, the Blues showed that they can turn attacking chances into maximum points when it matters most. Surprisingly, the insertion of Harry Plummer and Black into the starting 15 paid dividends. But again, I still had to remind myself that this was a team that actually hadn't scored a try up until this game. If I was to sum up the Kiwis' performances in one word, though, it would be gutsy. Their forwards as a whole showed up to play uh, against a noticeably bigger Bulls pack. They went 13 from 13 at line-out time, a much, 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 much better performance compared to last week's outing. And at scrum time, like they have done pretty much the whole of the last month, provided their backs with a stable platform. Now, Satutu was the only real danger with ball in hand, but this wouldn't really matter, though, as it was their patience and composure through waves of attack rather than going for, you know, that big, big miracle play, which got them into the right areas of the field and in the end over the line. Now, it was hard to know whether the kicking side of things had improved um, considering how bad the conditions were, but uh, it was a telling sign that Altidy Black looked far more assured of himself and a lot more comfortable in the 10 jersey um, in comparison to previous performances from Plummer and Petalfetta. But again, um, the Bulls aren't a really flash outfit and yeah, the real test will probably come next week when they travel to Cape Town to take on the Stormers. Among the standouts though, for me, were Robinson and Satutu who together accounted for a quarter of their team's tackles. Black again added composure and a touch of finesse. Petalfetta looked far more comfortable in the 15 jersey and was excellent under the high ball um, in trying conditions. And Talia also made the most of the little ball that came his way. Time for team and player of the week, where in the one jersey I've gone for Aiden Ross, while at hooker I've gone for Cody as taylor and then packing it down at three is the Australian Michael Alatawa. In the locks, I've gone for Michael Allardyce and Mitchell Dunshay. On the blind side, I've gone for the impressive rookie Cullen Grace. Outside of him, I've then gone for the tackling machine, Tom Christie. And then at eight, I've gone for Hoskins Satutu, who despite having a yellow card, 
carried well and made seven tackles. In the nine jersey, I've gone for the 50 minutes of outstanding play in Bryn Hall. At the cutter, I've gone for the ice cold Autity Black. In the midfield, I've gone for Party at the back, Mrs. in the front, Jack Goodhue, and the ever rapid Braden Enor. On the left wing is the Chalkman, John Anareki. On the right wing, it's Hot Legs, George Bridge. And then at 15, I've gone for the solid Michael Collins. Now, my player of the week for round four goes to Crusaders halfback, Bryn Hall, who was instrumental in the first half onslaught of their southern neighbours. All 68 of his passes appeared to hit his teammates at the chest height region, and his kicking from the base, which is one of the tightest strings to his bow, was on the money. The most impressive aspect of Hall's game to me, though, is his ball sense. Whether it be getting to a ruck first to allow for quick pull, or receiving the last offload before a score, he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. I mean, he's unlucky to be playing at a time where there's a bit of a log jam at his position, but who's to know what happens um, this year with some of the changes that Ian Foster will look to make come international footy. Although I do wonder how much greater his odds of being included in the All Blacks would have been had Scott Robertson got the nod for the top job. In conclusion, as always, is my shower thought, which for this week comes by way of YouTube, where after getting my daily fix of Shannon Sharp on Undisputed, I found myself weirdly watching ice hockey montages. Now to cut a long story short, I learnt that in the NHL, that should a player be sinbinned and then his team concede a goal, before that allotted amount of simbinning time is up, that player is actually allowed to return back to the ice. Now I for one would be all for having this sort of ruling implemented into rugby where if a player is sinbinned and his team then concedes a try, rather than having to sit out the whole 10 minutes, he is welcomed back onto the field as soon as that try is conceded. And now the reason I am for this is that I've played in games and I've watched games where yellow cards have been the defining moment and I'm just not a fan of having 15 on 14 be the difference in the end of a game. Now, I know that people are going to say, well, you know, it's the players and the team's responsibility to not be ill-disciplined, yada, yada, yada. But like I've said in previous weeks, I want a competitive outing for as many of those 80 minutes as possible. So that would mean having 15 players take on 15 rather than having 10, 20 points scored when there was one less man on the field. But... Anyway, those are just my thoughts though, as always. I'd like to know what you guys think, so if you can't wait until my Thursday social media post with my shower thought, please get at me with a message or comment on my first social media post of the week, which will go up Monday morning. Now this does bring show number four to an end, and again I'd just like to say a big thank you for spending a smidgen of your time with me. Enjoy the last week of summer whānau, and I can't wait to be back with you all next week. Kilda.